Kwame and Alex Shabao. Uh, it starts off as an anomaly, an outlier in the noise that's so common in astronomical data, but the truth sends the United States and the world careening into what will become humanity's last space race. Uh, interesting uh, near-future story regarding some industrialists that uh, have decided to uh, get into the space race, uh, and uh, it sounds great, man. I'm telling you, I'm very excited. Uh, this is where space is going, and I think Peter Calloway and Al Shabao have uh, started a very interesting series. I am looking forward to the continuation of The Last Space Race. Tons of great genres are being uh, hit through Aftershock Comics. Uh, really great stuff. I've mentioned some of the great, wonderful uh, creators. We've talked to people like the Lollipop Kids, Adam and Aiden Glass, Diego Yapur, the artist on that great series. Beyonders, my buddy Paul Jenkins with Wesley St. Clair. This is an interesting conspiracy book. We'll be talking to Paul in the weeks ahead. Great books, great stories, great prices. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more creators about their books. But you don't have to wait. You can check out full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes of these books to order through your local comic shop at AfterShotComics.com. All right, let's get back to our conversation here on Word Balloon. Let's talk about the fact, and I get it, but I want to hear you explain it. Um, when the issues come out, they will be digital only. And then when you've got enough for a trade, you will put out a physical trade. Exactly. That's so, yeah, give us the explanation. I mean, I, I, I assume I know why, but you tell us why. Oh, why? Because single issues just don't sell very well. And they've been, sure. they've been losing money for a while, but I kept putting them out because I felt like that's the way that people expect these things to happen. But at this point, it just doesn't make financial sense anymore. So we're just doing digital. And if people want to read them, great. Uh, but the trades have always sold excellently. So that's obviously what people want and the way that most people are have preferred to to read the material. So that's just the way we're going to go with the print. And have you been have you been uh, rolling out uh, new editions of the first four black and white volumes all along? I'm sorry, I'm not sure what you mean, rolling out. Um, well, you know, there's a print run of the four volumes. When they run out, have you oh, yeah, gone they, back oh, to print? And, oh, yeah. yeah okay, can, good. Okay. Because, okay, because honestly, I've always seen them stocked at, you know, great comic book stores. And granted, most of the comic book stores I go to are in the big cities. But yeah, I would hope that, you know, you've managed to still get an income from from the four volumes oh, yeah. over these yeah. years. Okay, great. Excellent. Well, and tell me, um, you know, let's well, let's talk for a minute because, again, uh, was it nine volumes of Oz? For Marvel? There was yeah, six. There six. Was... Okay, I knew it was either six or nine. I don't know why the nine possibly. But, okay, yeah, you did six volumes of that, and that was several years. Yeah, it was six years. There you go. Yeah, um, man. You and Scotty. Yeah. Scotty Young. Yeah. So how did you come to choose Scotty for this? I didn't have anything to do with it. It was all Marvel. Marvel, Marvel put you guys together. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Marvel. Wow. It, it was all Marvel's idea. I got a I got an email from Marvel saying, "Would you be interested in doing this project?" And I I was I was very unsure about it. They wanted it there was a imprint they had called Marvel Tales, which was all their classics. They were doing classics as comics. Yes. And so the people classics illustrated worked way back when, but every time every any other company tries to do that sort of stuff, it doesn't last very long. So <laughs> I know. Do I really want to get involved with this project that's not going to last very long and no one's ever going to see and it's going to be this 
you know, it's just going to disappear. And I go, well, you know, they'll, they'll give me a paycheck, so why not? And then Marvel Tales got canceled and it became a regular Marvel book. I think everything except the Oz project and Jane Austen adaptations, everything else failed or didn't yep. well enough, so they kept doing those. Um, so, yeah, and so we were just a regular Marvel book at that point, and, and, and it didn't disappear. People liked it. It was <laughs> shocking. But, you know, I, I, and I, I didn't know who, who Scotty was. I didn't know who was going to do the artwork at first. And I was like, Marvel is going to do an Oz adaptation. Okay. Uh, who knows what this is going to look like. But whatever. I'll just hold my nose and take the paycheck. Um, and no one will ever know what happened. <laughs> and then Scotty started uh, showing artwork to me. And I'm like, oh, wow. This is actually really good. And then it was a hit, and I was like, well, this is very nice. I'm glad I'm in this position. But I'm, I'm also glad for Scotty's sake, too, because, I mean, that's sort of, he had been working for a while in comics, but this finally put him on the map. And it was, I mean, it, the work is excellent, and I'm, I'm glad that he, he got that boost from, from the project. Agreed. And, you know, obviously, oh. for us, growing up with the MGM movie, and you as well, appreciating those original illustrations and all of the not knockoffs but homage i mean there's a template to making wizard of oz it seemed and for the most part people like you know kept it pretty much towards again what we got in the mgm movie or and forgive me because i forget the the illustrator's name that worked with bomb it was well the guy who illustrated the wizard of oz originally was named ww denslow but for all the rest of the series they they got a guy named John R. Neal, who's my yes. illustrator. Yeah, and so that's the thing. And I've seen those classic, you know, uh, uh, Neal uh, illustrations. My, uh, my, my family, uh, you know, extended family and stuff had been buying them since, I guess, the 30s. And we had these old hardback covers of these wonderfully illustrated books. And they were beautiful. And I don't know what edition it was, but it seemed to be of that original stuff. And... Um, yeah, so here comes Scotty, and Scotty comes up with his own designs yeah. and this very radical style. And, yeah, man, I think it was really this great moment of all of us appreciating what Scotty had done in traditional Marvel. Well, I call it traditional Marvel, but, you know, Scotty's art's never been traditional. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it, it just – it was great. And, again, your own appreciation of, the, you know, Bomb's words and – did you guide Scotty at all in any sort of visuals given, because I know, uh, and, well, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, you were the, you were more the Oz expert. Am I wrong or? No, I, yeah, I'm total Oz head. Yeah. Scotty, Scotty had read some of the books and liked them, but I, he wasn't, he was no, nothing like I am when it comes to Oz. So I, I did a, I wrote it full script and whatever, you know, <laughs> The, the guidance that I gave Scotty was just trying to – I wrote a script as I would write a script for myself, uh, just trying to make it make good comics. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I gave him guidance where more knowledge of Oz and more of the – Minutia that most people don't know would come the in handy. The symbolism, uh, maybe that are in the stories. No, there's no symbolism in the stories. 
Okay, talk to me. Any, symbolism, <laughs> any stories about symbolism in the odd books that you've heard is a bunch of bunk. So, Thank just, you, man. Uh, That's awesome. Because, yes, that. yes, um, because people have attributed economic, uh, oh, you know, God. analogies. God. Yes. Uh, and for, uh, yeah, forgive me for spreading the fake news if, as, as it would be oh, you, uh, we're gonna. I, I've made academics angry. That's uh, awesome, Eric. Yes, but, uh, no, that's all right. Set us straight, man. It's all good. <laughs> you mean to tell me that the yellow brick road doesn't represent the gold standard? <laughs> what? I'm like, yep, no. Awesome. But, um, so what kind uh, of minutia? But, but just my, my knowledge of, okay, what does, you know, you read The Wizard of Oz, but there's many more books in the series. So yes. yeah, if you're going to be drawing The Wizard of Oz and you may be drawing more of them uh, in comics, you, there's a continuity that would be good to be kept. And the, the Oz books are, are uh, notorious for L. Frank Baum's bad sense of continuity. So let's try to make these a little more little more continuity in them. So I would give Scotty information about that. You know, just drawing from my decades-long knowledge of Oz as a as an entire concept, the whole sure. phenomenon. And uh, <laughs> as far as designing things, I would give him free reign, but, you know, I would tell him in scripts, well, so-and-so drew this character like this in this instance, and so-and-so in another instance has drawn it like this. For instance, there's a character called the Wogglebug, who's this giant insect who's been magnified to the size of a human. Okay. So, you know, and one, the, John R. Neal in the Oz books only drew him with two arms, yet insects have six legs, so he obviously, so the character could have four arms. And there was an artist that worked with L. Frank Baum in a, in a newspaper series that did draw the character with four arms. So I would give Scotty that information. But that's not stuff that he's going to find on his own necessarily. But So I was trying to provide him with stuff like that so he could make an informed decision about what has come before. Yet I, I never, ever wanted to like tie his hands and say, you have to do it like that. I would just try to give provide him with a solid basis so that he could do his special Scotty thing. That was my intention. Understood. Have, have you since read I Hate Fairyland? Yeah, yeah. I read the first trade. <laughs> Um, I don't know. You know, I haven't talked to Scotty about, is this a reaction to <laughs> getting totally, totally sick of drawing Oz, Oz comics for six years? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he said, boy, yeah. I, uh, I, I as a friend, I would, I would be surprised because honestly, and, and don't get me wrong. It was six years of work. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a lot of work and I can appreciate yeah. that. But uh, I do know that he was really appreciative of the collaboration. And yes, was yes, I'm, not, by... I'm not trying to say that he wasn't. <laughs> he was unhappy. I, I think he was very happy drawing his stuff, but I think maybe he had had enough by the time it was over. I'm, I'm sure that, yeah, again, six he, years. Let's move on. Yeah, sure. I'm sure you probably were like, all right, that's enough. No, I would do more. <laughs> How many Oz Bomb books were there? Bomb wrote 14. But 14? In the, in okay. The, in what's called the quote-unquote official series, there are 40 volumes. Wow. Now, is that other writers, or was it all Bob? Yeah, yeah. no. Okay. He wrote 14 and died, and then the publishers contracted with an, a series of writers to sure. continue the series. Sure. What have you thought of the various films, Return Oz, and, I mean, Beyond the Oz? What did you, th- well, you think of the MGM Classic? 
Well, um, it was sort of my first ex- exposure to Oz when I was a kid, when I was on sure. TV, and I fell in love with it. And that's when I found out there were books, it was like, oh, great, there are more, more, more. Um, uh, yeah, I loved the MGM movie. Um, it was my favorite movie for a long time. When I started, I started drawing comics in the 1980s. I was drawing, mm-hmm. Oz, I drew, drew a series of Oz graphic novels. And while I was doing those, I could not watch that movie because it doesn't, it doesn't adhere closely enough to the original vision, which is what I was trying to do um, in my original graphic novel series in the 1980s. Oh, wow. Uh, with, my, with those Oz graphic novels. Um, it was to adhere very closely to Baum, the Baum and John Arneal vision. So I couldn't watch that movie for a while, but since, since then, yeah, I, I watch it. Um, although I haven't watched it in a few years. I, when I watch it now, I just know everything that's going to happen. I know sure. everything that's going to see. It just doesn't, it, it, it's not, there's nothing fresh enough in it for me. I think the last time I saw it was when it, they did it in 3D back in 2013, I think it was. Um, so I saw it in the theater a couple times in 3D. Okay. Actually, there was a, a reason I wanted to see it then. Um, beyond just the, the movie itself was I had found out that I was related to one of the women who was one of the Munchkin actors. Wow. And so I, I was I was really excited for a while. Um, genealogy is one of my hobbies now, so I okay. do all this research into ancestry and stuff. And uh, a cousin of mine, uh, one of the other Munchkin women named Margaret Pellegrini died and... Uh, a cousin of mine posted on Facebook something about being related to a munchkin. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so she said, oh, yeah. Uh, and she told me how we were related. So um, so I wanted to spot this woman in the movie. Sure. And, uh, so we saw it. So I was living in San Diego at the time. So uh, my partner and I drove up to L.A. to see it at Grauman's Chinese, where it had actually premiered. Uh, and so we went with a bunch of Oz friends and saw it there, and I did not see, I could not pick out this this woman, whose name is Carolyn Granger. Okay. And uh, Was she in the Lullaby League? No, she was not. <laughs> she was just, she was uh, just one of the Munchkin women. She sure. Uh, and uh, so then my partner Dave and I went and saw, saw the 3D version again later at a, at a theater in San Diego, and all of a sudden, like, we were watching the movie, and I'm like, there she is. That's her. That's her right there. And there she was. So then uh, after, we, after the movie was over, we went home and like got out the DVD and started and played the Munchkin scene over. And it's like, yeah, that's her. And we like picked her out everywhere that we could spot her. And that once we had recognized her. That's so, outstanding. Anyway, wow. That's the last time I saw that movie. Okay. Fair enough. That's awesome, man. That's amazing. Jesus. Um, did you see the, and I'm sure as an Oz file, oh, although, no, you know, I'm interested because, you know, I'm a hardcore Star Trek guy. Yeah, and I saw Discovery, and I of course wanted to see Discovery, and you know I, I I'm not a hater. I, I I really need to explain I'm not a hater, but I admit that there are a lot of things about Discovery I didn't like. What did you think of that? And now I'm blanking on his name, uh, the the last movie, the guy who's an escape uh, artist or whatever it was called. You know, um, oh god damn it, uh, the movie with Mila Kunis and 
James Franco? Of course, James Franco. God, thank you, man. I, you know, brain farts. Like I said, we're, we're recording this right after New York Comic Con. My brain is still fried. It's two days after New York Comic Con, but my brain is still fried. Okay. Not everybody remembers everything. <laughs> but yeah, what'd you think of the Franco movie? What'd I think of that movie? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the credits started, and they're kind of interesting in the way they designed the credits. But after that, it was pretty awful. <laughs> um, it just didn't make any sense. None of the movie made any sense whatsoever. Uh, uh, there's nothing better than... Like you they're, know, run, I, they're running, 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 and they jump off a cliff, and then Glinda saves them with the bubble? What? Why didn't you save them before? It's like, <laughs> oh, the, the China girl who was... I did actually like the China girl. That's the best part of the movie. Fair enough. That character was, I thought, charming and very Ozzy. Um, and, but the, she goes to sleep, and then, you know, she like runs through a poppy field where that puts you to sleep, and she doesn't go to sleep, and this is like their big plan. <laughs> I don't understand. Um, I guess you could say, well, she doesn't breathe, but you better establish that before you have a run through the poppy field. Okay? Well, it, it, there's all kinds of things like that much that don't make any sense. Like, why do these characters have an American accent and those characters, like, have a British accent and their sisters? What? Um, were they raised differently? Well, you didn't establish that in anywhere. Uh, I just didn't understand what was... But I guess it... I don't know. I guess it made some money. I guess it's kind of popular, although people have sort of forgotten it, I feel. I agree, and I also think it, it, as I remember, got kind of mixed reviews. I think some people liked it and some people didn't, and I'm sure theatergoers who don't get into the granular minutiae as you do with Oz, as I do with Star Trek, you know, probably forgave or just didn't care. You know, they just, hey, man, there is that segment of the audience they just want to forget about life for two hours and come out very happy with what they see. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, but no, I, lo- I love hearing that kind of passion. And, I don't know. If you're, going to tell you know. A story, if you're going to tell a story and you're going to you know, have it sort of linear and that it makes sense, well, then have it make sense. If you're going to tell a story that doesn't make sense, well, let us know at the very beginning <laughs> and that's part of the story, that there is no sense to it, and then I'll be fine, you know? As long as you don't make sense, because you told me you're not going to make sense, fine. But I... Uh, I like it. I like it. That's all right. I like the passion. What about Wicked? Oh, well, um, okay. I read the book when it first came out. Yeah. A year later, and I really liked the first half of the book. I didn't kind. I kind of didn't like the second half of the book. Um, then the second book came out, and I liked it much better. And then the third book came out, and I oh, it was terrible. I could hardly get through it. I had to force myself to read the whole thing. Then then the fourth book came out, and I thought the fourth book was absolutely terrific all the way through. I loved it, loved it, loved it. It ties up the whole series. It makes everything make sense. Except it, I, you still don't have to read the third book. You just just read the series and skip the third book. Um, Interesting. Uh, I love, 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 love the fourth book. I thought it was wonderful, wonderful. Um, uh, I saw the I saw the stage show pre Broadway. It was okay. San Francisco, and my partner and I drove up uh, to see it. Um, mm-hmm. The night we had tickets for, they canceled it because Kristen Chenoweth had fallen off the bubble and injured herself, and the oh understudy, the understudy wasn't ready to go on. So. Um, <laughs> So we had to go the next night, with, and we didn't see Kristen Chenoweth. It was the understudy. She was up. Ah. Uh. 
but Edina Menzel was still playing Elphaba. Um, so we saw it, and, uh, you know, it was pleasant. Okay. <laughs> I don't think it was a classic. Um, <laughs> we saw Robert Morse as the wizard. Interesting. Um, so I haven't seen, I did not see Joel Gray as the wizard, and I have not seen the show since. That's the only time I saw it was the pre-Broadway um, okay. San Francisco run, which was like a week long, I guess. Um, and so my opinion of the show is like some of it a lot. Um, some of it just leaves me cold. I don't hate any of it. Actually, I, we had, um, where was it? I think it was playing at ACT in San Francisco. So they were, they, or maybe it was like next door to ACT. I don't know. Well, anyway, we saw three sisters. No, we saw Cherry Orchard. Um, the same day, the matinee. So we saw Cherry Orchard, and then we went and saw Wicked. Cherry Orchard was so good. Um, and Wicked just... Uh, Interesting. I'm afraid I, that my uh, experience of seeing Wicked was sort of colored by how good Cherry Orchard was. And Cherry Orchard, you know, that's it's um, Chekhov, so it's totally serious. And, sure. and whatever yes. whatever humor there is in Chekhov is... <laughs> is it's not a comedy. It's not right. a It's not a spectacle. This is like Russians lamenting their lives. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, wicked. Took the edge off wicked. It's it's a lot different in tone. <laughs> so I thought that um, as far as adapting the book for the stage, it did a good job like distilling a lot of the more complicated themes of the book down to a comprehensible thing that could fit into two, two and a half hours. So I thought that was a good, that, they did an excellent job on that. What I, one thing that made me uncomfortable was all the MGM references because it was just like sure. a lot of MGM stuff sure. in the stage show. And I just like, <laughs> I thought needlessly to some extent. I also didn't like some of the way they, the two things like, the way they made Bach turn into the character he turns into and the survival of one of the characters at the end, or both the characters at the end, the way they survive, I just, it's different than the book, and the book is much more successful. I don't like, it's too easy on stage. And I know it, it may be audience-pleasing, but I don't think it works. I mean, it may work in the context of, the, of that show, but as far as a a satisfying story to me. I I didn't like it. Well, I'll confess I haven't seen the play or read the books. I'm aware of them culturally, and um, having having not seen any of the casts, uh, and I knew that Christian Channelworth obviously, and and the woman you mentioned too. I knew about them. I didn't realize Joel Gray was you know the wizard for the original cast. I would think that Robert Morse might actually be a better choice of a, of a wizard and again maybe I'm clouded by my Frank Morgan memories I, I don't know uh, but I, I would think you know roly-poly Robert Morse might actually make a more you well, know a, be- a better wizard I didn't think he was I didn't think he was that good I think that's pro- okay I think that's probably part of the reason why he didn't continue I don't know if he quit or the they told him that he was fired I don't know what the story is okay uh, also, the night I saw it, they were having some sort of problems with the winged monkeys or something. There was some uh, special effect that was supposed to happen that obviously wasn't happening. Okay. And it was really uncomfortable. And we were, I was sitting in the audience going, what's going on? And then it became obvious there was some thing that was supposed to be hap- that wasn't happening. Um, I don't know. 
I assume that because they got all those bugs worked out so that it works fine now. But it certainly didn't help uh, Robert Morse's performance because it was in the middle of his scene. Tell me about Oz fandom. Because, again, as someone like yourself that is so into it, like, you know, compare it to Star Wars or some of the other things. I mean, I would imagine that obviously when in some circumstances Oz fandom might begin and end with the MGM film. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, like, you know, do are there panels at, like, the World Fantasy Conventions or, you know, sci-fi things, I mean, that are purely Oz? How do you, as someone who enjoys, you know the original books and, and, you know, clearly does have this, you know, when, when something new comes out, obviously I'm assuming that it piques your interest and you at the very least check it out if you don't actually read or watch it or whatever. But yeah, like, you know, is there any sort of, uh, organized Oz fandom that you are aware of? Oh yeah. There's a, there's an international wizard of Oz club that's been existing since 1957. Okay. Uh, And it's still going and they, Print a magazine that comes out three times a year. Okay. They do other a few other publications and things too, uh, and they also uh, sponsor a convention that happens m- almost every year. Okay, uh, I thought so. There are also yeah. other conventions, um, other conventions and festivals that are that are annual. Um, I first started going to Oz conventions when I was fifteen. Okay. And I've been going uh, pretty consistently ever since, although there have been periods in my life where I just had to step away. Uh, <laughs> and again, I'm not laughing at you. Dude, you know that this is the same thing for Doctor Who people yeah, and Star Trek people course. and Star Wars. Yeah. So it's, yeah, man. So that's why I'm, I am laughing from the re- recognizability of what you're t- describing, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. But like, are they are they satisfying? Are they fun? Are you do you have you made friends at Oz conventions or like yeah. you know whatever? Oh, Good. Absolutely, I've made some of the, my my strongest friends, longest lasting friends through through Oz circles. Okay, uh, I've had experience. I, you know, if I had never been and been exposed to Oz fandom, there are experiences in my life I probably would never have had. Things that I'm very grateful places where I've gone. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Honestly, man, what? I've How loved these last ten minutes. This is excellent. Go on. Age of Bronze has taken me places I'm like would never have imagined. Met, I've met people I would never have expected, never have been interested in um, before. I was interested in the Trojan War. Tell me about and, that, man. Now I'm like, you know. Uh, well, I've had to do all this research into the archaeology of the Trojan War simply because I want to present it as the most um, as accurately as possi- as I possibly can. So, have you gone visual, to? Visual. Have you gone to? Yeah, have you gone to Greece and? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh that dude, uh, boy, you shame me. I'm a Greek. I've yet to go to Greece. <laughs> so you know, no, talk to me, oh, absolutely, well, man. Get going. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> save up your plane. Save the planes for that plane flight. I hear you, man. No, I know. It's shame on me. Believe me. But, uh, what? You know, obviously, I had to figure out where I could get the information on sure. Troy. Yes. And all the, all the Greek sites as well. And mm-hmm. uh, for the people who don't know, Troy is in Turkey. And uh, there are many of... All the Greeks came from Greek sites that are in, Tro- in Greece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been to both 
Troy and both Turkey and Greece to see all the uh, Mycenaean stuff, all the stuff in the 13th century BCE that I can possibly find. Um, and I had to contact people. Um, in the mid-90s, I was doing research and I found out that the excavation at Troy had reopened in 1988 and they were still there at the time. And the University of Cincinnati was the American arm of that expedition. Um, and so I called up the University of Cincinnati and I said, look, I'm preparing this uh, project where I'm going to be telling the story of the Trojan War in comics. And I just want to get whatever information I can on what new informa what new information there is on Troy so I can do it as accurately as possible. Sure, yes. So I got a good response and and then I just started meeting archaeologists and classicists and all these people, and now there some I have friends among them, and um, they read my some of them read my work, and some of them enjoy my work very much. Some of them are very very supportive. Of course, I have the people who are like, "What is this?" You know, <laughs> and uh, and I went to Troy in 2006. Okay. During the, during the summer, while the excavation the excavations were still on, um, and I went during the season and spent twelve days there and walked all around, hiked all around the area, walked all around the site, uh, took tons of photos and video and sketches, cool. and um, got tours of the site from various archaeologists. And of course, no one is in total accord on what actually anything would have looked like back in the in, in back in the day so you get different perspectives on on different artifacts and uh i don't know it was a great experience one of the best things i've ever ever done in my life uh and then i went to greece in 2010 and uh the excavators of pelos uh, jack davis and sherry stalker uh, we, uh, Jack was the director of the American School of, of, of Classical Studies at Athens at the time, and okay. I had known him before because I, he, he was at University of Cincinnati, and he had invited me to speak there, which I did in 2005, and uh, he said, he said um, we've got this, I'm the director of the uh, American School of Classical Studies at Athens, we've got a huge house, come over, <laughs> take you all around and show you all the sites and so I said great and we did and they did and wow. it was wonderful wow that's awesome man has in the last five years since issue 33 have you discovered new information that you're incorporating as you go forward well um, I'm always doing research I'm always gathering stuff there have been there's nothing major that directly affects the story that I've discovered so far there okay. Um, Jack Davis and Sherry Stocker made a huge find at Pelos a few years ago. It's called the Griffin Warrior Tomb, and they've been all on TV and in all the magazines, National from National Geographic on down about that. Okay. Um, and but it's earlier than my period, so although it has some impact on what I'm doing in Age of Bronze, it's not really, really specific, and it does not, doesn't really change anything. It just gives some, some, more, some additional information. Okay, okay. When you, um, <clears throat> when you come forward in, in, with issue 34 next year, um, 
will you have an editorial page like you did uh, in the print version and stuff? Will you, beyond the story itself, will you be doing any other, you know, the phrase now is back matter for that stuff? Uh, yeah. Do you, do you want one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think we'd want the same experience that we got in the issues. Um, but it's up to you. I mean, you know, Eric, I, <laughs> I think we'll be happy with whatever you give us, okay. no matter what. Well, you know. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I and again, I don't want to put more I on never, your plate, man. You know, <laughs> I never knew anybody, wherever anybody read, read that stuff or even enjoyed it. Um, I, you know, I used to, for most of the issues, I did 20 pages of story. Okay. And the rest was at back matter. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, a couple times I did. I went over twenty, and I, that stuff got pushed out. Uh, for the digital issues, I'm planning to do twenty-four pages. At least wow. issue thirty-four is twenty-four pages. Okay. So I wasn't going to do any of that stuff because if it were a print <laughs> issue, there wouldn't have been any room for it. There's still going to be pronunciation guide. Okay. Uh, because I, I sort of feel that's important. But as maps, far as, will there will there be maps? Uh, for the issues, you know, I never put maps in the issues. I just put maps. Oh, in the volumes. oh, uh, okay, okay. So no, no, yeah, Eric, I <laughs> don't take this I the wrong way. I'm not your editor. <laughs> I was just going to continue it basically in the same way. And since there were 24 pages, it was going to push all the editorial stuff out. Uh, I don't know. Don't- don't 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 let me make you doubt yourself. That that was not my intent. No, no, I'm asking for your feedback. I'm asking for your input because if people want that stuff, yeah, sure. Well, I suppose given that it's been gone for so long, that it might be like, okay, by the way, this is what I've been doing. Maybe even just that kind of postscript or <laughs> whatever. Okay. Now I'm embarrassed. Yeah, I, no, I put in a, I put in a editorial some editorial stuff in the in the. Color in, in thousand chips, yeah. Okay, in uh, the volume, yeah, in the no, new no, volume, yeah. No, I mean in the oh. single issue that came out for Free Comic Book Day. Oh, excuse me. Okay, yes. All right. And I don't know if people saw that or not, but I, I put in an editorial there saying where where everything was headed. You know that there was going to be everything was going to be color from now on. We're going digital. Blah blah blah. Okay. Um, I guess it might be useful to put that in the new issue because not everyone was going to go back and. Look at that reprint. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, and especially if it especially if it already exists. That way, it's yeah. not a lot of heavy lifting for you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> well, that's nice. Okay, I appreciate you, you listening to my feedback. Hey, man, we're glad you're back. <laughs> and and truly, for those who have not read a thousand ships and and gotten on board for Age of Bronze, you're really in for something. It's it, it truly, man. I I am really happy to talk to you because I've really been an admirer for, for years of what you're doing. Thank you. And, and absolutely, man. And glad you're getting back to it because um, I really think when you do finally finish, this is going to be one of the important comic works to show what the format can do beyond, you know, Hulk smash. And I like Hulk smash and I think you do too. So are you writing? Is there time for you to do anything else? from a writing standpoint, because I think of the collaboration with Scotty and I don't know prior to age of bronze or sit or even during what other works you might've been doing where you were just writing and letting someone else draw it. If you had time. Well, um, I'm always doing something, whether it's writing or drawing or both, 
in addition to Age of Bronze. Uh, currently, I've been doing a lot of uh, Casper. I've been drawing a lot of Casper stories for American mythology. I had no idea. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I did three Stooges. I did a couple three Stooges stories, but I think that was a. I think they decided that was a one shot. I don't know. Okay. Oh, and for that same publisher, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And, you know, that's so funny. Art Balthazar had mentioned to me that there were some new Three Stooges things, and obviously I think he was talking about your work. I had no idea. I'm like, oh, is someone reprinting the old, you know, Norman Maurer, uh, Joe Kubert, St. John stuff? And he's like, no, 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 it's new stuff. Yeah, so no, cool. actually, um, the uh, that stuff is what I use as my model because they came, uh, American Mythology, the editor at American Mythology came to me and he said, look, we wanted a new... They, did, they had been reprinting stuff, and they said, we, we want to go in a new direction with the Stooges. Uh, this is kind of what we like, and they had sent me some of, that, some of that imagery. And I go, yeah, this is good. So I came up with uh, my sort of take on that. Okay. That's what it looks like, but I guess it didn't sell well enough, so I don't know if they're oh, going to continue. But you know, another another conversation, I would love to talk Stooges with you yeah. because, I, you know, I, I as a high school kid – I interviewed Norman Maurer. I had no idea about his comic book background. I interviewed him as Mo's son-in-law who produced all those movies in the 60s after the Columbia Shorts uh-huh. and really focused and, you know, and everything they did up until they stopped being the Stooges. And then also I got to interview uh, Emil Sitka, one of the great character actors for listeners who don't know who we're talking about, um, you know, who was – and also Edward Burns who directed a lot of the Shemps and was even a sound man on the Curly runs and everything. Well, I am uh, not a Stooges fan. Sorry. You're not? Oh, oh I, man. Uh, well, then then I'm boring you. <laughs> no, no, you're not boring me. I, I just don't know that much because, okay. uh, I mean, I've watched a lot of Three Stooges stuff when I was a kid, but before I had to actually draw these stories, I don't think I had seen a Stooges short for decades. So Interesting. I had to look them up on YouTube and, and – uh, Watch some a couple of them again and try to get oh, wow. that sort of a uh, that that feel that atmosphere because uh, the stories that I drew are set in the 30s and sure. uh, they are trying to give the feel of a original short. Oh, that's cool. So, but still, yeah, but still, are you going to? I mean, and I know this is completely not Stooges related, but uh, I happen to see the trailer for the. Uh, Stan and Ollie movie that's coming up with uh, Steve Coogan and John C. Riley, and I don't know if that's something that would interest you at all. Um, and it's okay if not. <laughs> I'm, I'm just tangentially interested. Uh, Oliver Hardy played the Tin Woodman in the 1925 Larry Seaman Wizard of Oz. Did not know that. Um, he was also uh, his early stuff for, was it Vitagraph? I can't remember. Vitaphone, perhaps? Or, Vitaphone yeah. in the teens. Um, there was he worked with a couple actors who were in the Broadway Wizard of Oz, who, who had been in the Broadway Wizard of Oz. Wow! I can't remember. I think Bobby Burns played the cow in the Wizard of Oz from like 1906 to 1909, something like that. Anyway, wow! I'm total Oz geek, and everything in life relates to Oz somehow. Um, I like it. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not at all, dude. Seriously, I I love learning. I, I'm sure I can become kind of... very pedantic about it. So no, no, and truly, no. All honestly, man. I, I I and I know my listeners agree. No, it's it's interesting. Again, the way um, 
culture works and again the fandom behind culture and and i think it is i mean again it's something like wizard of oz on the surface yeah every at at the very least everyone knows the mgm movie and they're aware of the books to some degree but yeah it's no i i love this hell i had kareem abdul jabbar on last year and he is really into Predator and Alien uh-huh. and really and was really happy to tell me how wrong these these last few prequels were in the direction they were going. And I think it's fun to learn that, you know, someone like yourself or like some, someone like Kareem, you know, can be an Uber fan about some of these things. I think a lot of people might know your own uh, love of Oz and everything. But regardless, no, man, that I, hopefully this is something that should you do, con- you know, a convention or whatever, you might, might meet some other mutual Oz fans who want to talk to you about it. So, hey, this is awesome. Sure. <laughs> I, my, my favorite, my one of my very favorite movies is, is Oliver and Hardy's Babes in Toyland. You bet, absolutely. Favorite movies. Uh, yeah, I actually had to draw Laurel and Hardy recently for an Oz project. Interesting. Uh, I illustrated this book of fan fiction short stories, Oz fan fiction, and mm-hmm. one guy wrote a story of simulacra of. Laurel and Hardy being brought to Oz in 1939. Wow. So I was doing one full page illustration for each story. And I'm like, okay, the the story was about much more than just the Laurel and Hardy part. But I'm like, what am I going to draw from this? Oh, I'm going to draw Laurel and Hardy. So I did. That's amazing. That's fantastic, man. Are there, are there any other projects that you want to mention? You know, as far as you know, anything else that you might be working on right now, or is Age of Bronze really taking up all your time? Age of Bronze is uh, like half my time right now. I have to do a Casper cover today, and uh, uh, what else? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I should be working on other projects too. I, oh, I just did a the backdrop images for a show that's opening in New York on Friday. Um, it's wow. It's called The Resistible Rise of J.R. Brinkley. It's part of the New York Fringe Festival this year. Um, it, it opens on Friday. It's written and directed by Edward Einhorn, who's a friend of mine, which is how I got this job, because the person who was supposed to be drawing these images for the backdrop, I guess, had to bow out for some reason. I don't know what the reason was, but Edward, like, could you possibly do these? And I'm like, sure. And I, I had time. It's... it's um, Images, black and white images that are being projected. They're not a, a built set. They're just oh wow. So I, I had to do those last week. Is Edward Einhorn related to the sports mogul Eddie Einhorn? I don't, I don't have any idea. Okay, I, I come from sports radio, and uh, he was a part owner of the White Sox, uh, and also a very big um, sports um, media mogul and like real like when they were doing college basketball nationwide back in the 60s he had a, a syndicated sports network that was pretty powerful and stuff so that's how i'm aware of the einhorn name and of course edward einhorn i would imagine yeah i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to look that up i don't know if they're related <laughs> at all uh no problem, edward's a, a grandson of the guy who discovered the rh factor in blood oh wow well, that's much more valuable <laughs> and important than than some schmuck that's doing <laughs> basketball TV. So I get it. It's all right. Too goddamn funny. 
Eric, a pleasure talking to you, man. Continued success. I am really happy Age of Bronze is back and uh, now in color, yeah, like been, like back I, in the 60s. Now in color. <laughs> yeah, been my pleasure. Thank Absolutely, you so man. Thank you. And, yeah, continued success. Hopefully we'll, we'll talk again in the future. Great. Sounds good. How about that? Eric Schanauer, I hope you enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you check out Age of Browns now in color from Image Comics, the first volume collecting the first nine issues in color, out now. Subsequent uh, volumes will follow two through four, and uh, issue 34 coming out in January. Can't wait. So it was a pleasure talking to Eric. Hope we do it again soon. I hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon. Again, it was uh, brought to you by Aftershock Comics, uh, shaking things up at your local comic shop with hit series like Animosity, Marguerite Bennett's wonderful story, Raphael De La Tour on art chores, also other great books like Lollipop Kids from Adam and Aging Glass and Diego Yapur, Beyonders by Paul Jenkins and Wesley St. Clair. You can find great books and preview art and descriptions at aftershockcomics.com. Thanks again for listening. Uh, I hope you'll join me for our other episode that I've released today with Greg Pack and Jonathan Colton talking about the princess who saved her friends and uh, also just a great overview on uh, Kickstarter and comics and also uh, Jonathan Colton, man, internet genius. Uh, I am uh, really pleased to have him back on because I'm a great admirer of hers, of his. Because I'm a great admirer of his, uh, he was one of the original internet success stories coming out with a thing a week, uh, which was him writing uh, songs and performing songs every week, but it created a back catalog for him, and he's been out touring with his music and making albums, and uh, it's great to talk to him and uh, see how the uh, market for music is very similar to the comics market. The challenges that uh, a musician faces to be heard uh, over the din of all the other competition out there, much like a lot of these uh, creator-owned comic book people as well very interesting time in the comics and music industry so listen to that episode as well and we've got more great stuff coming up uh later this week and throughout october uh old favorites coming back brand new conversations as well please join me in uh, the great conversations we have here every day almost every day at word balloon thanks again for listening you know the full back catalog is available at wordballoon.com uh, you can also subscribe to us via iTunes. Word Balloon is everywhere you can hear podcasts. Podbean, Stitcher, uh, certainly on SoundCloud, YouTube, you name it. Word Balloon is there. Uh, if you like the show, a great way to help me out is letting a friend know that you like what you hear and they might like it as well. Thanks again for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2018.